You know, I love that song, O Come Emmanuel. God dwelt in flesh among us. Uh, the word John uses is he, he tabernacled with us. He pitched his tent. Uh, it's a picture of the old, in the Old Testament of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And they're all camping around their tents as they wander in the wilderness and they wander on their way to the promised land. And uh, like those, uh, the Israelites of old, we are passing through the land. We're not home yet. And as we look forward to heaven and to eternity, uh, we are amazed. Thank you. We're amazed that God Himself came and He dwelt in human flesh. And, and again, the word is that He tabernacled with us. He pitched His tent and he, he came and He showed us who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're singing a song about about God with us coming and dwelling with us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But it's also a song in which we look forward to His coming again because O come, O come, Emmanuel also points to the time when He is going to return again and He will come as our King and He will rule. And so we look forward to that day. You know, every Christmas uh, as, we, as we celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, I'm, I have to make a decision about how to preach through the month of December. And holidays are always kind of fun, um, but, but the challenge is, is do, I, do I preach those same passages each, week, each time we, we come to that holiday? And, and how do we approach that? And so I love Christmas, and I, I love the story of our Savior's birth. I, I love Christmas carols and lights and giving gifts. One of my favorite, favorite activities when I was a kid was going out and just watching Christmas lights with the family and going through neighborhoods that was nothing but lights. It's just a, a festive time of year. It's a time of year when when we uh, just have some special time with our family and friends. And I, I look forward to that. But when it comes to preaching in December, I always find myself pondering whether I, I would stick with the traditional passages that we find in Matthew and Luke, or do I take us somewhere a little bit different? And so this last few months, we've been contemplating God's heart for the world. And so I, I believe that it's appropriate for us to enter this Christmas season as we celebrate the first advent of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, that as we do so, that we would consider what God says His purpose was in sending His Son. And so we're going to go to a few different Christmas passages scattered throughout the New Testament this month. And uh, once again, uh, we're going to look at five different passages that we're going to consider. Last week we saw Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-3, through 3, where we saw that God spoke. He not only spoke to our fathers by the prophets in the days of the Old Testaments, but He also spoke to us by His Son, Jesus. And the apostles and the prophets in the early New Testament, the church age, they attested to His life. They attested to His ministry so that we have an account of His, his work in the New Testament as well. Today, I'd like you to, to turn your attention to Mark chapter 10 with me. We spent a bit of time in the Gospel of Mark a while back, but I believe that Mark chapter 10 is a, is a worthwhile passage for us to return to because because we find here a beautiful account showing us how the coming of God's Son, how in the coming of God's Son, we meet a, a God who not only speaks through His Son, but we also serve a God who serves people. My hope this morning is that we might breathe some of the atmosphere that Jesus and His disciples were experiencing on that day. And that with the disciples, we might share in the amazement that, that they felt as they watched their Lord walk with His face towards the place that He was going to die. And, and then I'd like to ask us the question which Mark and the other Gospel writers give us the answer for. Why did Jesus do it? 
Why, why did Jesus come and, and was born in a manger, born of a virgin? Why, was he, why did He come and press on towards Jerusalem when He knew what was waiting for Him at the cross? As we begin the passage, we're going to go back a little bit further from where we read the Scripture this morning. Uh, Mark reminds us in the context, starting in verse, verse 35, excuse me, starting in verse 32, he reminds us of the journey that Jesus is on, and specifically, he points to the ultimate destination of the path that Jesus was walking. They were on the road, they'd come down from Galilee, they came to Jericho, you have a few miracles that took place, the healing of a blind man, and, and then... Um, they made their way from Jericho and they turned their attention towards Jerusalem where Jesus makes His way towards the cross. And specifically, He points to that destination and Jesus plods on with determined purpose. And Mark begins with this. He says, "...and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid." Now, it tells us that they were on the road and they were going up to Jerusalem. And, and up here is a, is a very appropriate word. Uh, this last month when Angie and I were in, in Tuscany, one of our uh, favorite activities uh, was that we, um, uh, well, one of our favorite activities was gelato. I, I owed a great debt while we were there. And so I, I paid off all my, my, my illustrations of mentioning my wife in sermons. And so we had some great ice cream. The, the rule here is if I use my family without telling them beforehand, I owe them ice cream. So apparently I... I'm now in debt again because I just mentioned my wife. I saw you smiling over there. And um, one of our favorite activities while we were in Tuscany, other than gelato, is that we, uh, we went to a lot of smaller towns. And we found that while we were there, these smaller villages in Tuscany were always placed on top of the hill. They were a great defensive place to, to protect the city. And so as we walked along, we would come to places like Florence and Montepulciano and, and Urbino. And... And uh, there was a lot of climbing involved each day. Uh, one day in particular, there was a lot of climbing involved. But the climbing for us was scattered with stores and restaurants and pizza, and uh, usually only was a mile or two. In the passage we're looking at today, Mark tells us that they were going up towards Jerusalem, and there were no pizza shops along the way. There wasn't any shop where they could buy some souvenirs for the journey. Uh, this was a desert road, and there was 20 miles of it. And so when they left from Jericho, it was all the way up, 20 miles, and the road climbs 3,800 feet in elevation in that 20-mile distance. And so it's, it's certainly a difficult and tiring journey through those hills and through that, that wilderness. And like a lot of the rabbis of that day when they traveled, it tells us that Jesus walked ahead of the disciples. But, but it's clear from our context, and it's clear from the book of Matthew, that, that Jesus knows what's ahead of Him. He knew what was ahead of him when he came to earth and he took the form of a babe. He knew what was ahead of him his entire life, his entire ministry. But this day in particular, he's making that final journey from Jericho to Jerusalem where he'll spend his last week on this earth before his resurrection. In fact, twice now in the book of Mark specifically, Jesus told his disciples that he is going to be killed and that he'll rise from the dead on the third day. And yet, firmly, he has his face towards Jerusalem uh, where he tells his disciples that it's the place that he will be delivered over to the Supreme Court of the Jews. And I believe that the journey was heavy with anticipation. Uh, I believe that Jesus, I, I think he felt the weight of what was coming, what was soon going to happen to him. 
he, he knows that he's about to die a horrible, painful death and that this was the purpose for which he had come. He knows that he's about to become our sin. Jesus became our sin when he was on the cross so that when God looked at him, this person, the God the Father that he had fellowship with for all of eternity in those moments looked on Jesus, God the Son, And for the first time in all of eternity, that relationship was torn apart because all that God saw when Jesus was on the cross was your sin and mine. And Jesus took the full weight of all of that wrath that was that we were guilty, that we were, that we deserved. He experienced all the guilt. He suffered like no man ever had before, and no man will ever suffer again. And I think the disciples, they felt that heaviness as well. But Jesus wasn't dragging His feet. He wasn't lingering. He wasn't looking back towards Jericho or stopping every few feet. He didn't stop in the cities back in Perea. He's determined. He knows what He's come to do. And it's interesting that Mark describes the disciples. And it says that they were amazed. And the people that were following Him were afraid. And I think that they saw His determination. And there must have been something in His eyes and His gaze toward Jerusalem that brought about this amazement to them. And obviously, they're also beginning to understand that something wrong is going to happen. I don't know how literally literally they took Jesus when He he said that He was going to die. We we know that they were confused when He said He was going to be raised from the dead, but there's there's something there. And and those that were following Him, it tells us they were afraid. Once again, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach the disciples. Mark Mark said to us, Taking the twelve again, He began telling them what was about to happen. Again, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest. They, are going to be, he will be, they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock Him. They're going to spit on Him. They're going to flog Him, kill Him. Three days later, He will rise. And so Mark tells us that, the, that He takes the twelve aside. And and in more detail than he had ever shared with them before, he describes his sufferings to them. And he tells them again for the third time that he is going to be killed and that he is going to raise from the dead. This time he also notes that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Now we know that the disciples didn't get it. I I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where where you read the Scripture and there's just something that's just blatantly obvious right in front of you, but you just completely miss it. Uh, I, I like looking at the disciples and go, wow, these guys really, you know, what was wrong with them? Until I turn the finger around and look at myself and realize, I'm not much better, am I? I, I do this all the time. I, I, I listen, but I don't listen. And, and these guys didn't get it. They had been, they'd been told over and over and over, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. And they thought, well, what's he talking about? You know, what's, this, what's this parable that he's speaking in? I don't think they got it, and they, they didn't comprehend the plan of the, the plain truth of what he was sharing with them. As we're going to read here in one moment, we're going to see that's the case. But I believe it's also important that we ask the question why? What, why did Jesus intently follow this path? Why did Jesus come as a babe? Why did he come to die? And essentially, that question is what we're examining in these five different passages this month. First, let us note that Jesus set His face toward Jerusalem, though, and, and, and then He died on the cross because He loves us. Ultimately, as we consider all of these different purposes, it comes down to the fact that God loves you. Eventually, 
um, the, 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 um, the disciple John is going to get that. He's going to be here in just a few moments. We're going to see that he doesn't get that at all because he's going to completely change the subject as they're walking down that road. But later on, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote three of the epistles in the book of Revelation. And, and in a few different places, he tells us of this great love that God demonstrated for us. Again, we know John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Later on, he's going to write in 1 John chapter 4, the epistle, verses 9-10, through that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for us. I love that word propitiation. Do you know what it means? It means that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. Everything that Jesus did on the, co- on the cross, He propitiated our sin. He was, God was satisfied when He looked on Jesus the Son and His wrath was made content. I was doing a, a Bible study when we were in France and we were looking at that passage and uh, there was one of the men that was in our, our study and um, Kent turned to me and, and asked me in English, he says, how would you define propitiation? And so I gave him a definition. He translated it and we, we continued on. And later on that day, one of the men that was in that Bible study who's been a believer for a long time but um, has been growing but struggling, he came to Kent and he says, this, this changes so much. This, this changes everything. God, God's wrath is satisfied. I, I followed Jesus for, for years now, but you're telling me that God's not angry with me anymore? He says that that changes everything. And, and it gave him a whole different perspective on what Jesus had accomplished for him because he's always thought that God was still angry with him. When God sent His Son into the world, He loved us. He died for us. And it wasn't that we had loved God, and that's not the reason He did it, but, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so Jesus, He had His face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, because He loved mankind. He knew our sin problem, and He knew that that sin had to be dealt with. And because He loved us, because He loves you, He did all of this. If you leave this building today understanding one truth, if you turn off your live feed from today's worship service and you understand one thing, understand this, that Jesus loves you. And He died on a cross out of His love for you in order to propitiate your sin. No matter what hardship you've experienced in this life, no matter what hate and rejection you've encountered from others, do not leave without knowing that Jesus loves you. And that when He made His way towards that cross, He did it to take your place. To bear the the punishment, the wrath for your sin that you couldn't pay yourself. When Jesus set set His face on that long path through the wilderness, when He firmly planted one foot in front of the other, even though He knew what it was going to lead to, He did so ultimately because He loves you. 
The second reason why Jesus was born as a babe and then came to die comes from the next part of our passage which we read today. And, and, and this is where I'd like to spend the bulk of the rest of our time. Jesus came to die to serve and to show us how to serve. Now Luke tells us quite plainly that, that after Jesus explained His suffering and His resurrection to the twelve, uh, he's, Luke tells us they understood none of these things. Uh, this, this saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what He said. They, they, just, they didn't get it. It was like, what, what's He talking about? Dying, being flogged, turning over to the Gentiles, rising from the dead. You know, it's another one of those weird parables that Jesus likes telling. Maybe we'll understand it in 30 years. Uh, didn't understand that He was speaking quite plainly about what was going to happen that week. And this becomes very obvious that, that, that they didn't grasp it when we read what two of the disciples did very soon after Jesus told them about His death. I don't know if it was five minutes down the road or an hour down the road. There's a 20-mile journey there. But, but soon after Jesus tells His disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be spit on. I'm, I'm going to raise from the dead. A couple of the disciples change the conversation and say, Jesus, we want You to do something for us. Talk about not getting it, Right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Now, I, I, Jesus is smart. He doesn't just give them a blank check. Uh, you ever have your kids just say, Hey, Daddy, I need something. Oh, sure, whatever you say. Jesus doesn't just say, Yeah, whatever, guys, what, what's up? Uh, he, he says to them, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right, one on your left, in your glory. And. And the good news, there's some good news here with this. We, we see these passages, right? And we, we go, what a loser, right? Uh, but let's flip that around. What, what, what do we see here that we can say, good for them? Good for them. What, what, what did they do here that we go, I wish I could be more like that? I, I think one thing we get from it, they still firmly believed that Jesus was going to set up His kingdom. Whatever He talked about death, whatever He talked about being spat on and flogged and, and all the suffering that He was about to experience, whether they took that figuratively, literally, however they got that or whatever they missed, they still believed that Jesus was going to set up His kingdom. And, and they are pretty confused about the timing of that kingdom and when it's going to come on earth and, and when they might take those positions of great authority. But their faith in Jesus has not wavered. They are going forward too with the firm belief that Jesus is going to be king. Now still, their timing for asking this question is pretty horrible. And what it does show is the pride and the self-centeredness that was within them. Matthew also tells us that it wasn't really John and James that did most of the speaking. Their mother came forward and kind of was the one who made the case. Though they're in on the whole scheme themselves. Jesus said to them, He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup from which I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? That's His way of saying, hey, I, I just told you a couple miles back. What what'd I say, guys? I'm going to die. Are you ready to go through the same kinds of suffering that I'm going to go through? And they say, yeah, yes, we are. We are able. And so he says to them, you will drink the cup from which uh, I drink and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left, it's not for me to grant, uh, it's, um, but it's for those whom it has been prepared. God the Father is the one that will reward that. Now we do know from history that James 
James later on is going to become the first martyr of all the apostles. Uh, James is going to be beheaded uh, not just a little bit more than, than 10 years after this conversation takes place. John is going to have live a very long life. We know that he lives probably into his 90s. Uh, but he's going to know suffering. At one point, uh, John is going to survive an episode where he's doused in boiling oil. He's going to be sent to exile on an island where he saw the book of Revelation. They will learn suffering, Jesus says. But he defers to his heavenly Father regarding his reward, the positions that he rewards and the great privileges that they're asking for. Now, like John and James, uh, I, I know that most of us, we don't like waiting in line, do we? Uh, the other day I was waiting in line at the post office. It was a huge line. There was one person in front of me and one person behind me. And I was on the phone with Angie. This is still one ice cream. And... Um, I was on the phone with Angie, and uh, the person behind me saw it. I think the, the person at the post office saw that I was on the phone, so he waved her on up, and, and, I, and I said to Angie as we were talking on the phone, I said, hold on a second, oh, never mind, I just got cut in front of. And, and I thought to myself, I'm in DeWitt. It's a line of two people. What's the big deal here, right? And just, um, I thought, you know, shame on me for, for being so impatient. And we hate lines. And, and the disciples, they were the same way. When, when others... When others cut in, the, cut in uh, it, it perturbed them. And uh, basically, that's what John and James are trying to do here. They're, they're cutting everybody off, and they come to Jesus, and, and they, they cut in line and say, Jesus, we want, we want the most powerful positions. We want to be right there on your right and your left. We'd like these positions of authority and power in your kingdom. And... And when others catch wind of it, when the other disciples heard what John and James had actually had the audacity to come and ask Jesus, you can understand they are, are not happy. Primarily because they are just as self-centered as John and James were. They're, perhaps they weren't happy because they hadn't thought about it first. When they heard it, verse 41 it tells us that they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers, the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And they're great ones. They exercise authority over them. And pay attention here, because this is the main section of today's passage that we need to see. And I want to read it again. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. If you remember one verse from the book of Mark, if there's one verse that you remember from this entire Gospel, this is the one that I want you to remember. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this is the key verse of the entire Gospel. The entire Gospel of, of, of Mark. And here, this is his thesis statement. And all through the book of Mark, he's already been showing us how Jesus is the servant. Jesus is the Son of Man who is the servant that's come among us. The disciples were all very concerned about serving themselves. And, and, and James and John, they just they illustrated this for us. But Jesus is the great servant. And he sets the example for them in this statement. And again, for even the Son of Man came not to be to be served, not to excuse me, getting tongue-tied today, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, there there are certain qualities 
uh, that we value in life, aren't there? Even the culture that we live in. Are there things that, that, that you meet people who have never heard of Jesus, they don't know Jesus, but they still in, inherently they look around them and they recognize that there are some things that are just valuable within humanity. Humility. Love. Qualities like kindness. Uh, the world looks at those things and they say, yeah, this is good. We, we should be more like that. You watch more you watch ads on TV and, they, and they, uh, these public advertisements. You know, be nice to one another. Show kindness to one another. Look out for each other. But, but it doesn't take very long for all of that to fall apart, doesn't it? And we, we've seen the last couple of years, we, we've seen how quickly everything unravels and those qualities just get thrown out the window as soon as a person starts saying, me first, I want to cut in line. If you don't believe me, just go start a random conversation with somebody and ask them what they think of face masks and then share your opinion, whatever it might be. And you'll find out really quickly how those qualities get thrown out the window. The world has gone nuts and it's very easy for us to get, get carried along with it. And the disciples, they, they were so easy, easily given into indignation. So easily we all revert to this idea this idea that, that one of us, that I am the greatest among everybody else. And so easily, I, I do the opposite of what James is later going to write in his epistle. What does he say? He says, be quick to speak, be quick to anger, and slow to listening. Isn't that how we usually do it? And it says the opposite. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. I reversed that, but you get the idea. And we, we so oftentimes are... are quick to these things slow to listen and jesus says to his disciples it, it shall not be so among you this isn't the way it works guys whoever whoever would be greatest among you needs to be the servant and whoever would be first among you has to be the slave of all and you see jesus came into this world to show us how to serve the god of the universe the god of the universe put himself last and this is the pattern that He's called us to. Think, think about the weight of that statement. The One who created everything, to whom the entire universe owes its allegiance, He turns it all upside down from everything that we would expect. And the God who created all, who holds everything together, the One who is worthy of all glory, the One who is worthy of all honor and power. If there's one person that has the right to say, me first. You serve me. It's Jesus. But He turns all that upside down and the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then finally, He concludes with the statement that He came to give His life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom is only used here and then Matthew chapter 20. It refers to a price that was paid for the freedom of a slave. When you bought a slave off the market, and you said a slave off the marketplace, and you, you, you gave them their freedom, it, it, the word was to ransom them. And Jesus uses that word of himself, and he says, I'm going to pay that price for your freedom, and the price is my life. And so his face was set on the cross, and he plodded down that road. Not just that road, but his entire life, knowing that from the time that he was born into this world, which we celebrate in his first coming, 
that from that time that he was born into this world, he set his face towards that cross and his entire life led to that moment. He plotted down that road with resolve and determination because he saw the bondage that every single member of mankind has towards sin. You and I are slaves to sin and the wrath of God was pointed directly at each one of us. But because because of God's heart for the world, because Jesus loved you, and because He was the great servant, He gave His life so that He could pay that ransom that God the Father demanded because of His wrath toward you. And so we find that Jesus died as a substitute. He paid the price that you and I, we couldn't pay. He took your penalty. He took your death sentence upon Himself. And that is why we follow this path and we follow Him. As I was reflecting on, on this, and, and you know, how, do we, how do we live this out? You know, as we celebrate Christmas, you know, what a wonderful time to, to celebrate Christmas. The coming of our Lord. And we do that together. We share gifts and we, we eat turkeys and ham. And we, we have all kinds of festivities that we share in together. But it's also a time where oftentimes what we do, we revert back to, to what the disciples did. Me first. I, I want this. Uh, I want that. We, um, we let others do the work during the holidays. Whatever it is, you know, sometimes we, we still get very self-centered during this time. Some people around you, in your family, your neighbors, maybe somebody that doesn't look forward to Christmas that you know that's, that's struggling through this. Might each one of us follow the path of that servant, put ourselves last and ask ourselves, how can I be the same kind of servant Jesus was that I would give myself for them? Small ways, big things. Maybe there's a, a major decision in your life. Why don't we follow the path of the Savior? As we um, conclude our service, we're going to do a, a second time of prayer and praise together. And, and this is what I'd like us to do. Um, you know, one, of the, one of the things that I, I experienced when Angie and I were on sabbatical, um, when we were in France, I knew a little bit of French, but not enough to really carry on a complete conversation. Um, but I kept hearing one thing. Every time we prayed, uh, I kept hearing a word over and over and over and over again. Merci. Merci. Mercy, mercy, Father, mercy, mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Every time we, we sat down and as a group, in a small group or in services, uh, I, I didn't understand everything that they were praying, but one thing that came out over and over and over again was um, thank you, God, thank you. And, and this is a congregation that was just so grateful for what God had done for them through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then when we went into Italy, and we experienced church with, with the, um, the Italian speakers in Siena. And I experienced the same thing. And there was lots of times of public prayer and, and public reading of Scripture. And, and over and over again, grazie, grazie, grazie. Every single prayer, every single conversation as we, we came before the throne of God was grazie, thank you. And so as we, as we uh, rejoice in the coming of of Jesus Christ. I'd like to just conclude our service with a second prayer and praise. And, and um, just wherever you're at, um, if the microphones are fast enough to get to you, I know we have people online, um, but just right where you're at, uh, let's just take a time just to pray and, and just to give thanks to our God for what He's done.
can be something from what we looked at this morning or just general thanks or maybe something specific. And let's just take a couple minutes and thank Him for what He came to do in, in serving us. Let's pray. You can stand right where you're at and, and offer your prayer. I'd just like to thank you, Lord, for uh, family as we have a chance to celebrate Christmas here with Jesus. Uh, a lot of times we get to see family that we haven't seen for a while, and we just uh, thank you for that opportunity to gather together. I want to thank you, God, for your constant presence in our lives for the light that you are of hope in the world of darkness. Just to say thank you for God for bringing us close to him every day, each day to know him more and more. I'd like to thank God for helping me out throughout um, basically this entire year because junior year, it's not the best year ever, but it's been very stressful, mainly mentally, and um, God's been helping me get through a lot. Um, I've always been very closed into myself, never talking at least much to anyone, especially at school, and he's been helping me out, open up a little bit, and it's been very fun. I'm helping out friends, and they're showing their affection back to me, which is great, and I'd like to thank God for that, my friends, my family, especially my family, and it's been great, and I'm thankful for him finally opening my eyes and showing me how life is, I guess, <laughs> but thank you. Father, we, we do give you thanks. We, we love you. We adore you. And, and Lord, I admit there are, there are a lot of moments where we just don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I miss what you have right in front of my face, what you've clearly, clearly given to me. Ways for me to serve others, ways for me to serve you. And sometimes, like the other disciples, we just completely miss the boat. Lord, we, um, we do come before you today and we do thank you. We thank You for all that You accomplished in sending Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that He's the Word. 
that in Jesus, you communicated your thoughts, your ideas, your own mind to the world of man by coming into this world and, and pitching your tent right here with us, showing us what you were like. We thank you that Jesus is the Word. We thank you that He's the servant. That they didn't pave a way for us to all get what's best, to put ourselves first, but He showed by personal example, when He didn't have to, of what it means to make Himself a slave to others, to serve others, to put others always first. We thank You that He's the servant. This as we go out from here and as we continue in, in celebrating the coming of our Lord this month, I, it's my prayer that You would continue to teach us this lesson. I pray that we would walk with You. That we would serve You in, in that process. That we would learn to serve and make ourselves a servant to those that You put in our path. And might we applaud towards that with determination just as You were determined to serve us. As we go out from here, we pray that You would bless this day. Pray that You bless each one here. Might You be glorified in our lives as we serve You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?